continuing our uh, little three-part series, Can a True Believer Ever Be Lost? And uh, good people have answered on both sides of the argument. I grew up uh, most of my early uh, Christian life till I started this church uh, believing that salvation was something that could be forfeited uh, or that you didn't necessarily, just because you came to Christ, it didn't necessarily mean you would finish with Christ. And that just because you said you received Christ, it didn't mean that you would ultimately go to heaven. Because between the receiving and the landing, you may, um, uh, the, to use the term we use so many, you may backslide, you may fall into sin, um, uh, all those different scenarios. And so holiness people, Methodist, Wesleyan uh, people that I grew up with, we said if you don't continue, you won't inherit eternal life. And there is a truth there. Uh, you can only be assured you're going to be there if you continue. Now, that tension is there. He said it in the epistles, Colossians, if you continue. And uh, so there is a side we play of obedience, of walking with Christ. But those ifs and uh, those conditions would just panic me as a young man. I, didn't, I was afraid to ever get started because uh, I just, the Christian life looked impossible until I was in it. Uh, it looks impossible to fly until you're in the plane. And so outside looking in, I had lots of fears about I, I can't live like many of those that I've seen around me. So good people have debated, uh, and the big view is, if you continue, you'll be there. And sometimes I grew up with things like this. Uh, what if Christ came and uh, you were committing a sin? Would you go to heaven at that moment? Uh, or the famous one, you, uh, uh, you were out, partying one night, you're a Christian, but you went out, misbehaved on the way home, you were killed, how could you go to heaven? And so we want to uh, deal with this issue, and today I want to focus on Christ as our assurance. Last week we looked at the Father and what we see in Him that seems to give us a guarantee that those He truly saves will ultimately be there. Now, I want to focus today on five things about the Son uh, that I think gives you security and the assurance that you will be there. And it's not without you pursuing Him. It's not without you continuing. Uh, but He is the guarantee. So let's go back to John 10, 28, and that got us on this series. And uh, let's just, first of all, uh, walk through these promises that Jesus gives. And I just want to underscore them, and then we'll go to these other four reasons. Let's pick up verse 27. My sheep 
hear my voice, and I know them, and they don't follow me. See, they do follow. He, he's not promising this to people who don't follow, but why do they follow? They follow because they're his sheep. And how do they become his sheep? He saved them. He chose them. He drew them. He did a work. The Father gave them to Christ. But his sheep are known by they follow him, as dumb as they may be, with all their uh, vulnerability to uh, predators and the impossibility of it. My sheep, one thing I want to say about them, my sheep follow me. That is the characteristic of his sheep. We're not saying, my sheep do as they please. My sheep follow ten other voices. My sheep never follow me, but they're my sheep. No, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Do you see that? We've got to be clear about that. We're not saying, uh, live like the devil, and you'll still be called my sheep. No, we'll call you probably by the title of how you live. If you act like a liar all the time, I'm going to start calling you a liar. I'll call you what you are by your activity. Sheep follow the shepherd's voice. And primarily today, instead of all this subjective, I heard a voice. This is the voice of the shepherd, his word. So don't say, I follow voices. I'm going to ask you which voice. Give me a chapter. Well, I feel, I sort of feel it. That's dangerous. I feel. Well, uh, do you have any better assurance? Because some days I, I'd hate to live on how I felt. Some days you wouldn't get out of bed if you went on how I feel. Some days I haven't felt saved, but I'm saved anyway. Why? Let's look at John 10, 28. I give unto my sheep eternal life. Number one, why did he call it eternal if it's not? Why didn't he say, I give them probationary life? I give them temporal life. No. And if you read 1 John 5, 12, he that has the Son has eternal life. Eternal life is to be in possession of Christ, and Christ becomes a new quality of life. He is our life. Then we go on. He says, I am giving them, I give them eternal life. Uh, it's a gift without any merit in us. He gave it to us when we were our worst. When we, in our sin, he gave us eternal life. He goes on, it seems to me to be an unqualified promise. I don't see hardly any condition on you here but the fact that you're a sheep, that you follow his voice, and I'm giving you eternal life, and you shall ume, check with Paul and Gabe, they'll tell you what that means, they shall absolutely in no way perish. And then, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And that word is to steal by force. No one can get them out of my hand. Now, now that is enough right there, right there. That, that's enough. But Christ knows his audience that they doubt he is God. They doubt his claims. So watch what he does. Watch. Verse 29. Get this. My father 
And all of you guys agree on the Father who has given these sheep to me. He's greater than all. And I can hear all the audience say, right, right, right. All right. You said he's greater than all. Right. And every Jew there in his audience that are critical of him and are going to, after this, plot to kill him. Yes, you finally got it right. Quit talking about what you can do. We, don't, we think you're an imposter. You're not Messiah. Then bring in God. Okay, I will. We know there's none greater than God the Father, right? We got it. We're on the same page now. Well, listen, 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 listen. He gave them to me, and he's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you don't think I can keep you, let's bring his hand into it. So you're in my hand, you're in his hand. The only way you can be held by both hands is to be in the middle of a grip. And he said, you know no one's greater than the Father. So what do we hear in Romans 8? No created thing is able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So just with this blanket promise, it would sure make you inclined to think, it sounds like this thing is eternal. It sounds like God can keep me. Uh, am I making this up? And Calvin hasn't been born, folks. Don't tell me this is Calvin. No, Calvin hadn't even burped yet. This is way back. A lot of you don't even know who Calvin is. Bless your heart. What's he got to do with it? Because Calvinists are known as people that believe your salvation is forever. And Jacob Arminius debated that and said, you can lose it. So here we go. So just on that alone, I think I could go to the bank and say, that's why I say I'm secure forever. Got any problem? Oh, but I get myself out. Well, how did you get in? How did you get in his hand? I thought the Father drew you. I thought the Father gave you to the Son. I thought the Father saved you. None of my kids got born without my help. This is Family Living 101, honey. You don't know what that means? See me in the office. <laughs> it takes two, Annie and me, and a baby make three. Honey, my daughters didn't get here because they decided to be born. They got here because Carolyn and I prayed for children. And I think that's the last time we got to get, no. <laughs> Let's see. After we prayed and got that, said, Lord, can't you do better? No, but... Children don't have an active part in being born. They are born, and we are born from above. God is my Father. Jesus is my elder brother. The Holy Spirit oversaw and created life in us. So I got in the family with no merit, with no power. He did it all, and now we say, oh, by the way, you can jump out. You know, it'd be like saying, and I think I mentioned last week, hey, how are your kids? I don't know. We lose one a week. You lose one a week. Yeah, you know, they just play in the yard. They don't come in at night. So it's been about two weeks. And, and so, no, no, you mean you, you don't know where your kids are? You can't keep your No, no, no. That, they got free will, you know. 
They got free will. We just let them express themselves. They're out there. And imagine a shepherd. Oh, yeah, that one little sheep always, he is a real self-starter, and he's discovering himself in another pasture land. Friend, the shepherd makes it his business to know where that sheep is. Free will, baloney. I'm in a family. I want to tell you, Earl Howard knew where we were. She didn't have much in this world, but she had seven children, and she knew where the ones were that were alive, and you couldn't talk about her husband or her kids, even if we did black that kid's eye. We were immaculately conceived. Don't talk about my kids. She knew. And what about our shepherd? Because to get in his family, he had to die. The great landmark of why we're secure are number one, after promises, number one, the death of Christ is the basis of my security. Why did Jesus die? Jesus Christ died for our sins, who pair for the benefit of those he died for. He died for our sins. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, and then he was seen of above 500 witnesses, the majority of whom still live today at the time Paul wrote. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins. He himself Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. But the Lord was pleased to make his soul a guilt offering for sin and that he might bear it away. My sins, my sins have been borne by the Lamb of God. And when we said he died for me, that is screaming to us substitution. And we call it theologically, it's penal substitutionary atonement. He bore the penalty of God against me. He had no sin. He was the innocent, without blemish Lamb of God. But God the Father and the Son worked it out. I'll substitute in their place, exact all your penalty on me, and I'll be free to give them the gift of eternal life. None of us are getting to heaven free. It's free to you, but it cost him everything. I'm going to heaven because my Messiah, my Savior, my Lamb stepped in the place of punishment and bore all against me. I never forget the heartwarming story of my brother Paul. His middle boy, Marty, didn't like school, wasn't good at academics, he was a great athlete and all like that. But uh, uh, Paul was a disciplinarian, and uh, even Marty, uh, he hit about six foot one by the time he was uh, 10th or 11th grade. He's a big boy. But uh, a bad report card would bring discipline and we grew up in the generation, you spank your kids, that's what they're good for. And you didn't call child custody services. 
I mean, you know, it, it was within reason, whatever that is. Huh? <laughs> and, and so uh, my, my dad would spank you, for, or rather Paul would spank his boy for these bad grades, bad, never got any better. And um, one day Marty brought home a terrible report card and um, my brother said to him, said, Marty, I've spanked you enough for these bad report cards. Uh, your old daddy is tired of doing it. Uh, from now on, from now on, I want to make a deal with you. From now on, for every F you get, you give me so many lashes, because from now on, I'm going to take the spankings. I can't spank you anymore. But somebody's got to pay for your failing. And so he just, he took off his belt. Now, Marty's six foot one, about 185 pounds. He says, here, and Paul laid over in the bed. He said, now, now you inflict on me the stripes I would put on you. And he never felt the belt. He's waiting to feel the belt. By the time he looked up, his boy was weeping. He said, I, I can't hit my own dad. He said, son, somebody's got to pay. Never got another F. Broke his heart. You know what God said? Somebody's got to pay for your sins. And I'm going to get more pleasure out of seeing my son crucified than in sending you to hell. And I'll accept his death as adequate payment and cancel your hell. I am saved because he died for my sins and I put my trust in it. That's enough. It's finished. My salvation is not, I can live like the devil and I'm going to heaven. No, it breaks my heart when I know what God did to his son to pay for my sins. I serve him because my Redeemer bled and died in my place. I'm secure because he died. And the church said, I'm secure because God the Son was resurrected. That's our second reason. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Beautiful passage. Speaking, well, we'll take verse 24. But for ours also, it will be counted to us, that is, righteousness will be put to our charge, who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up on account of our trespasses and was raised on account of our justification. Without the death of Christ, there'd be no atonement, but without the resurrection of Christ, we'd have no proof that the cross and the atonement was effective. You cannot have gospel without a resurrected Christ. A dead Christ cannot save. I often think of it, if I went to a, a swimming pool and they had a monument to the world's greatest lifeguard that died last year, it wouldn't be much comfort. I'm drowning now, honey. I'm drowning now. Just salute the monument as you go down. The greatest used to rescue, but we've already buried him. Christ 
is not a dead lifeguard. He's been resurrected, and he said his resurrection is the living proof that the sinner who's put faith in Christ is truly declared righteous before God. The righteousness of Christ has been transferred because you see two things about sin that came that we needed the resurrection to see if it could be broken. Sin has two things, penalty and power. The penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. The power of sin is death. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death, oh, death, where is your sting? When God saw Adam and Eve rebel, two things happened. You will die, and sin, uh, Satan's greatest tool in Hebrews 2, is he held us in fear all of our lives because he tormented us with the fact that because we sinned, he had power to terrify us in the realm of death. We were scared. We were held captive. But when Christ arose, he defeated death, the grave, and he shouted to all that would follow him, I conquered sin. I've conquered its penalty because if there was still a penalty, I'd still be in the grave. I conquered its power for if sin is greater than God, and the atoning work I just did, I would still be in the grave. I could not come out. God would not resurrect me. I hope that makes it. Uh, so the resurrection broke the power of sin, broke and showed that the penalty was paid. So a living Christ is your proof. Your sins have been fully paid and God is free to give you the gift of righteousness. It rides on a resurrected Christ. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, everything we're saying about the gospel is a fraud if the founder is still dead and if the skin worms are eating him. But Psalms 110 said, I will not even let the skin worms begin to devour my beloved son. Those three days in the tomb, God the Father saw to it no decomposition happened inside the body of his son. Not even worms can work to devour this body. And then he raised it in power to tell you when you come to Christ, he is the mighty conqueror of your sins. He's broken the penalty and the power of sin. And when you come to Christ, you have a Christ that has taken your sins. He has paid for them, and he has triumphed over them, and he gives that victory to you just by faith. He was my representative. As I became fallen and imputed with sin by one man, so by the act, of another man, I've been declared righteous. I've been declared forgiven. He must be alive or you're going to hell. And all this religion stuff is the world's biggest fraud. Get your money back. Run as fast as you can. But friend, you can't find him anywhere. 
go all over Palestine as long as you want. They can't find the bones of Jesus because he's alive and well in the third heaven. He's alive and well. Well, uh, it's not only our security anchored in his death and his resurrection. Uh, I feel secure because he is my high priest and he makes intercession for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 to just see where Christ is now. He's talking about uh, the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood passed away and uh, because the priest kept dying and it was part of the old covenant and it faded. But he says now in verse 24 of Hebrews, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We have someone in the very throne room of God, and part of his mission there is he represents you and I before the Father. He's appearing. He's appearing there right now. And then you go back to chapter 7. Chapter 7. Turn the page. I hear nothing. And if you have tech, I don't even want to see it. No unclean thing should be in the house of God. Verse 25 talks about, verse 23 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Watch. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. This word able is never used in the book of Hebrews with any possibility of failure. It is absolute. When he says he's able, he said in chapter 5, verse 9, Christ in Gethsemane prayed to him who is able to deliver. The word able means you can count on it being done. It's a sure word. And he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, there's two common translations for uttermost, two different ideas. One means he will save eternally forever, and you'll see uh, margins in your Bible, different translations. He is able to save forever because he has a priesthood that is eternal, and he's representing you so he can save you forever. That's one, one idea. Another way it's taken is he can save you completely, and the word completely there means in every realm, in, in every part, in every sphere of your being, he can save you completely, and Peter O'Brien combines both. He says, I think the idea is both. He will save you completely forever. Those who draw near to God through him, and how is it he can do this? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Turn back, turn back to Romans. Chapter 8, 
And after Paul does all this magnificent uh, description of our salvation in chapters 3 through 8, it comes to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you know that has to be who can prevail against us. Because, honey, there's a lot that can be against you. And he's going to name it at the end of the chapter. Tribulation, trials, angels, spirit being. There's a lot. That, but the idea, what can prevail against you? Who can come against you and win their case if God is for you? That's, that's what he's saying. Then he goes on. God's going to give his reasons why nobody's going to succeed. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Um, the prayer ministry of Christ and his ongoing intercession to the Father on the basis of his cross work, his death for you, is part of the ongoing keeping, delivering, preserving you from all the foibles, temptations, failing, weaknesses. He said in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, our high priest sympathizes with our weakness. He knows about our temptations. And he's a high priest that falls in with us and he takes to the Father and he prays for him. You see, Christ was a real man. Though God, he was real man. And he was tempted in every point like, a, like us. Sometimes that's hard for me to understand because he was never married. Lord, you don't know what it's like to be married to this woman. <laughs> Some way he says, I understand, you know. Uh, you don't understand this issue. Uh, you don't know what the battle with uh, sexual purity is for a teenager. You never lived in America with all this tech that you could see pornography with the touch of one button. Jesus, you never lived in the tech age. I was tempted in all points. In every realm that a human being could be tempted, I was tempted to the superlative degree. So, I don't set as a obscure stoical God at the right hand of the Father and say, the Father says, I've never been tempted sexually. I'm a spirit being, don't have a body anyway. I don't even know what that would even feel like. God the Son says, I know, Father. I was a man, a normal man. I went through puberty. I went through adulthood. I, I know something about the struggles of humanity, he could ask, can, can, can he represent a woman? You were never a woman, Jesus. He said, in every realm, 
I have the ability to sympathize with everything my people will ever experience, male, female, young, old, every season of life, and I intercede to the Father and ask him for what my people need. <clears throat> have you ever failed him miserably? That uh, you, you made all kinds of vows, all kinds of promises. Uh, youth camps are known for that. You promise him everything up there in the woods. We could always live it when I was a kid. We could live it as long as there was youth camp. It's going back to school that was tough. That's where you had to take the stand. Then it got a little lonely. Then I wasn't sharing the tent with Jim and some of my other buddies. Then you had to really stand. But there's a man who said, uh, Lord, out of all these guys competing to be first, I want to tell you this much. I want to go with you all the way to the cross. <clears throat> said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Satan has already came and talked to me, and he's asked to take you and sift you as wheat. And he wants to take all the good out of you and leave the chaff to me. He's got a plan to destroy you. He's requested it, Peter. He requested to kill Job, and I wouldn't let him. He requested to strip Job, and I let him kill his children, take all of his earthly possessions. The only thing I didn't take was the thing Job would have kind of at times been glad to get rid of. I'll leave it right there. A doubting, gainsaying wife. Curse God and die. But I, I told the devil how far he can go. Did you know what? No trial will ever come to you that has not first of all been measured by Christ as to its weight, as to its duration. Because he said, I promise my people I will never let more come on them than they're able to bear. And I will skim off too much, too much. So that Spurgeon said, had I not known the cup of suffering that I was asked to drink was not filled by nail-pierced hands, I could scarcely have borne it. Nothing comes into the life of a believer that doesn't first go through God. And Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you, Peter, and it's going to be the only reason you don't thoroughly wash out. You're going to fail miserably, but when you're recovered, you'll never again boast of human strength. You'll boast of an intercessing Savior that said, I prayed for you on the night of betrayal. Christ is the one that has delivered you of a thousand temptations and setups and minds that you never did even know about because he was praying to the Father. They can't bear this much. They can't withstand that. And he delivered, 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 and he will do it from earth to glory. I can count on his prayer ministry. <laughs> Finally, let's turn to 1 John. I have about seven minutes. I'll be over time, but since I know the music director and the children's director, that's the one you got to really pray for. You went over too long. 
1 John 1.8. We rest in the advocacy ministry of Christ, and I must move um, that uh, not only his praying for us, but he says he will be our advocate here. And uh, let us see what he says, the problem that he's dealing with. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, no sin principle within, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So he clearly says believers, though saved, still have indwelling sin to deal with. It's still there like a guerrilla fighter that even though the new king has been installed, he's still conducting guerrilla warfare in your life to, to give havoc. So he said, Christian, don't say you're sinless because we do have to deal with sin in our lives, even as believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful, wonderful promise that when you do sin, it doesn't then save you. It makes you in need of confession. Tell Christ and he'll forgive you. He said, I'll be faithful to do it. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned in the past with abiding results, we are making him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you not even sin once. I don't want you to sin even once. But if anyone does sin, we have an accuser before the Father. You do have an accuser, but it's not Jesus. Satan is the accuser, the brethren, and he knows everything about you that God doesn't like, and he reminds God, how can you call them a son when they've got these many flaws? But we have a parakletos, it's used of the Holy Spirit. He's called the Comforter. Parakaleo, one called alongside to give aid. But when it became a noun, parakletos, it was used of a defense lawyer. It was the common usage. Uh, a defender of the accused before the judge. At, right out of the Greek lexicon. It's there. We're not making this up. Um, let me see if I can say any more on that. Uh, it just, uh, any more exacting. Uh, one, let me give you a, a lexical definition. One who pleads another cause before a judge. A pleader, a counsel for the defense, a legal assistant who can present a case before the judge, why his client should be able to go free. And Christ has been appointed as the legal defender of the children of God. And when does this office go into motion? It's when the child of God sins. It's when they sin that he acts as the defender and he meets up. If you read Zechariah 3 and Revelation uh, he said, Revelation 12, 9, and 10, Satan will be cast down from the heavens 
be cast to the earth, that accuser of the brethren. So the accusations may fly since Satan still has access to God's throne and can go up and make accusations. And so when we sin, now notice it's while we're sinning, Christ is pleading before the Father, and this is not what he pleads. Hear me. Imagine. Father, they didn't mean it. Oh, yes, we did. Sin is never accidental. I, I, I grew up with that song, Lord, if I've committed any sin today, honey, if you did it, you'll know it. Just, you know, it's a blunt of the blanket. If I've hurt anybody today, well, you know those three people in the parking lot that you ran over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they know. Get out of here. You know when you sin. You know. Because sin is a volitional choice to disobey God. You know it. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So sin isn't, well, did I do something? No, you know. You know. You can't confess something you don't know. Lord, I want to confess. I blow it all the time. Well, that's true. But what else? Well, I, well, Lord, you know I blow it all the time. Would you say that you told your wife off? Would you say that uh, you cussed the cat? Would you say that uh, you nearly ran over your child in the you know, driveway? Things like this. Name it. You can't name what's ambiguous. So you know it. And so Christ isn't saying, oh, Father, forgive them for th they didn't know what they were doing. Oh, yes, we did. We're guilty. He's not defending the innocent here. He's defending the guilty. Got weak. He didn't say, well, well Father, my children never sin. They only make mistakes. Well, that's a favorite one. Lord, forgive me for this mistake. What? Your children? What? Your wife? What? Oh, my parents? No, what? Not mistakes. Sin. If you're smoking weed, say, God, I'm smoking weed. If you're seeing porno, forgive me. I'm seeing naked women. I have no business doing it. I'm lusting after women. Name it. Quit being so uh, ambiguous that God sees it anyway, friend. You're naked before him. You think you're covering up, hiding out. You don't know. They have already x-rayed you. They put it on display in the third heaven. Everything you're sneaking around, they say that secret sin below is open scandal in heaven. What you do in the closet, the father and the son are discussing before them. Why did he do that? You can never grow with God until you quit playing hide and seek and you go clean. You're guilty when you're guilty and you tell him, I'm wrong. That's the great thing David did when Nathan went. He said, I have sinned. He didn't say, kill the messenger, kill the prophet that exposed the king. Who do you think you are telling me I'm in sin? I'm the king. No, God broke his heart, and he said, before you, O God, I killed Uriah, and I took Bathsheba to bed. I'm wrong. I seldom see people repent. I see a lot of cover-up, and as long as you cover up, 
And long as you make it broad, you will never get well. You'll always have that root. You won't let God scour it out. You've got to say, I want to get before God. Take out this root of bitterness. Take out this lusting spirit. Take it out, O oh Lord. Search me, and I lay it before you. I'm tired of blaming. I'm tired of just making excuses. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother or my brother or my sister, Lord. It's me. So many liars in the church. And they're hypocritical to the core because they won't come clean with their kids, their wife, their associates. I'm blowing it. I've been sinning against God and you. I want your forgiveness. There's nothing like being forgiven, but you've got to start with admitting you're wrong. And Christ does not say, Father, forgive them because you know the background they came from. Anybody with a set of parents like them ought to act this way. He didn't do that one either. No. What he pleads is what he did on the cross propitiated the Father. I plead to you only the merits of my death in their place. And you said it satisfied all legal warrants for their arrest. I don't make a plea bargain, Lord. I'm not a crooked lawyer at the courthouse making a plea bargain. If you'll cooperate, we'll knock off five years of the sentence. Father, I paid in full for everything they would ever do wrong. I'm claiming it now as I plead for them. Father, Father, keep my child. This is what I died for. I didn't die for their virtues. I died for their sins. That is what I am guaranteed, that when I blow it, when I am ashamed, and when I'm reading uh, in my guilt, I have one there pleading his cross work. Well, we don't have uh, time to do anything but this. Do you know how to congregationally read together? Well, you are. Here, look at me. Read my lips. See this on the back page? We're going to, this is too good. I'm going to have you follow me, okay? Don't get ahead of me. Now, we're going to read this. Top laddies, faith reviving. From whence, you're supposed to read now. When I do that, you follow. This is congregational reading. Okay, I'll say the first. From whence, and unbelief, have not the Father put to grief? his spotless son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which, Lord, was charged on thee? And I will. I'll read the next section, then you'll pick up the third. Complete atonement thou hast made and to the utmost farthing paid whatever thy people owed. Nor can his wrath on me take place if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood. All right. If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. 
Remember, Toplady grew up in England, 1800s. That's why it's Old English, but it's the truth. Turn then, my soul, unto thy rest. The merits of thy great high priest have bought thy liberty. Trust in his efficacious blood, nor fear thy banishment from God, since Jesus died for thee, and his church said, Hallelujah, amen. I'm secure because my Savior died in my place. I'm secure because he conquered death, hell, and the grave by his resurrection. I'm being kept because he's interceding for me 24 hours a day. And because I have an advocate when I blow it, he presents his blood, his death as my defense. I have no other defense but Jesus, my Savior. Our Father, we adore you for so great a salvation. Let us not neglect it. Let us not, uh, gra- let us not sin that grace may abound. God forbid. May our hearts be conquered by the cross. I don't want to sin against you, Lord. You paid enough. I, you paid enough. We just want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to adore you. We pray be with us all day as we come back to celebrate those being baptized tonight. May we come praying, rejoicing. And if the accuser is attacking the mind of a believer here today and they've lost their assurance, they're not sure, maybe they're in secret sin, maybe they've been playing around with the wrong things, I ask you, restore them. Bring them back to the shepherd's arms. I know they're in your hands, Jesus. Let them feel your grip. Let them feel your grip. Let them feel the nail scars beneath them that bought them, purchased them, and will shape them and guide them into heaven forever.